Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, or is it Captain Fantastic? I keep wondering when I'm going to get rid of the the very special. I mean, how many of these have we done? 96. Okay, good. Um, You're still I special. Like that I'm that sp- makes you special. I know, I know, I know. And I really like that. And Captain Fantastic and all of that. I just, each time you come on, Andy, with all the enthusiasm, I think, oh, God, maybe today's the day that he'll forget the special or the Captain Fantastic. Oh, but it hasn't happened yet. Oh, you want me to dispense with those? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I live in fear of you dispensing <laughs> with it. This is my ego boost. Okay. My Friday ego boost. All right. Well, I guess I could resort to the thesaurus and put in special and get a list of words I could start using in place of, you know, switch things up a little bit. Okay, let's let's start a Google Doc for that. Okay, yeah, we'll put that out there with our other Google Doc that we use. So we actually have a special guest with us today, another special guest. Um, not that you're not special, Bridget, but, <laughs> oh, but another special guest. See, see, I live in terror and it's starting <laughs> yeah. to happen. I didn't want you to feel. All caps? I didn't want you. Yeah, <laughs> no. that's right. I didn't want you to feel diminished. So, but anyway, joining us today on the show is, mm-hmm. and he's actually was on Accelerate. Oh, actually, yeah, I was on Accelerate uh, not that long ago. Is uh, Mitch Morando, CEO and founder of Whaler? Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. FLF. Yeah, Frontline Fridays, and and you know, <laughs> proud to <laughs> proud to welcome Whaler to the Accelerate family as the exclusive sponsor of Frontline Friday. So, Mitch, thank you very much for uh, yeah helping us put the show on the air. Absolutely excited to uh, participate, and excited to uh, thanks for letting me join the call today. 
Well, no, our pleasure. So we wanted to introduce you to the audience. I mean, those I said people have perhaps have heard heard you on Accelerate, but um, if not, why don't you tell us just a bit about Whaler and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, uh, Whaler, we're a SaaS platform and uh, really uh, built around this concept of a PQL. So it's uh, it stands for Product Qualified Lead. So many folks in your audience may be familiar with MQLs, Marketing Qualified Leads, Sales Qualified Leads, but uh, we look at the user journey um, quite differently in that product usage, what users or groups of users are doing the product actually is what I've found to be the biggest indicator uh, as far as understanding when uh, and, and how uh, a sales team should engage. So that's really um, the principle that we're trying to teach, um, not only at a, at a high level, just uh, evangelize PQLs, but also um, in, in the implementation and what our platform does. So in, in short, so that if you're, Let's say you are a SaaS company and and you have a freemium model or a, a trial model of some sort of paid trial or whatever, that mm-hmm. what you're going to do is you're going to analyze how those users are going through the product, how they're using it, engaging with it, and that's going to generate these product-qualified leads based on some usage pattern. Exactly. Yep. Usage patterns and uh, your classic firmographic data. So, Very interesting. I think that's great. We just started um, looking at... I think we've all... We've always looked at product data and user um, behavior in the platform, mm-hmm. but it's only recently that I've heard this term PQL, and I think it's I think it's so spot on. Yeah, it, it's very powerful, and um, you know I, I mentioned this on when we did the interview a few weeks ago. Um, you know, the conceptually, I sort of learned this early in my career from game developers um, and how they use player t- telemetry in order to understand how to build, you know, immersive video games. And so I started applying that to my sales teams, even even as early as, you know, before SaaS, when we had on-prem software, mm-hmm. I went to the engineering team and I said, can you just, you know, fire some call home data, anything when they, you know, the, the um, engineer wires up you know, plugs in our engine and wires up some collision detection or something, fire back an event. And lo and behold, as soon as we got this event back, we'd make a, we'd make a serendipitously time phone call and um, uh, and um, make the prioritization and the effectiveness of that outreach um, significantly better. So sort of just kept that, kept that, that um, uh, approach going. So is there some uh, profile you can give us of the type of company that's, that's actually using this most aggressively right now? Yeah, there are our ideal customer profile at the moment they're developer first right that's where the problem is uh, is the biggest uh, either open source or all of these freemium uh, products where engineers kind of pick it up because um, if you think of one audience of course nobody wants to talk to sales right at the end of the day <laughs> not even sales people what uh, but but engineers especially right it's like ah trying to get an engineer to communicate with you at all is uh, is incredibly difficult so that's where we see the problem the biggest and that's kind of where we've uh, we focused our efforts devops sort of um, develop, developer tools that use that and then, um, you know, have, but have a sales team because, uh, again, the sales team has to approach, you know, when there actually is an enterprise opportunity. And the, and the enterprise use case is obviously very different. You have a different sure. value proposition, but um, but uh, those are sort of the models that, w- that we focus on today. Yeah, well, I know this. And I know this software company based out Tel Aviv. That sounds like a great prospect. <laughs> I know, I know, definitely. And I was going to ask you, uh, Mitch, when do your sales reps or do you advise sales reps to interact and communicate differently with the developer community or an engineer 
based on the MQL or PQL, or are they using the same types of communication? They don't, how do, how do you think about it after they pick up the, uh, a PQL and know that, that, that the air or whomever has engaged? Yes. Uh, it's a, a common, uh, a good question uh, because the, the approach of the tactics that you use are going to be very different, right? So, um, what we sort of recommend as the best practice is you're using the engineer's activity or, you know, group activity, uh, a couple of engineers doing certain events, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, uh, use that as, okay, if you have a, let's say the concept of a pre-sales engineer or an engineering person, they can actually reach out at an engineer to engineer level and start to communicate, uh, you know, as far as, oh, here's the documentation or here's the things technically I can help you with. But from a salesperson's perspective, it's the dodge, you know, uh, dodge low and punch high. Because, you know, there's a uh, there's a project obviously spinning up or something. And now I want to start, I want the sales team to start the conversation at the VP level, right? And work their way down. So it's sort of this, um, you're using the activity signal as an indicator of uh, when things may be a better time to kind of coordinate the uh, uh, the tag team effort between, let's say, your engineering resource and, uh, and the salesperson. So then you advocate an engine, sort of an engineer to engineer communication. Mm -hmm. And do you find that that's typically, is it email? Is it text? Is it Skype? Is it LinkedIn? Where are those conversations happening? Is it phone? I know where it's not happening. <laughs> it's definitely not happening on the phone. It's not happening on LinkedIn. Um, but, uh, and that's where, again, I'll sort of focus on these developer uh, uh, first kind of use case, but you know, typically, you know, the, uh, and if you don't have an engineering resource, it's still your salespeople have to put on this really like engineering persona. Correct. Right. Um, right. Where it is, it's coming across as like you get, and you might even have to doing some, you know, technical speak uh, in, uh, even if you're not an engineer, still picking up the language because um, it's a different animal that you're trying to communicate with. Um, uh, uh, so, you, you know, really um, the communication path that I've seen, email is still very effective, but it's the messaging, right? Like an engineer can, if you're not an engineer, like a million miles away, based on just the language that you use. Um, uh, but I have seen email still very effective. Uh, things like uh, GitHub, like hugely effective, right, as far as um, how people can communicate on um, GitHub repos. And, um, and interesting enough, chat, like chat and uh, the one that I've seen that I even uh, we've seen teams experiment with, you mentioned is SMS because, um, and I think the power of text is interesting uh, because it's asynchronous. I think that's part of why uh, engineers, um, and I even think about my own experience, I just bought a car primarily using text because I didn't want to talk to salesperson. <laughs> so I think I had 98% of the conversation over text. And I was like, oh, wow, th this is actually great. It's asynchronous. Um, that's great. <laughs> but uh, so I, I'd encourage you to like like test SMS. And, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, I, I think the engineers just... Uh, you're in control, right? And it gives you a chance to ease into the conversation as opposed to having a salesperson try and, you know, just, just talk to you to death. Yeah, it's interesting. Here, we do use a lot of text. Our sales mm. people will text. And also, with some companies, we open up um, 
private Slack channels. Oh, yeah. And that is also super effective. And we just put an engineer or sales engineer in the channel, and they're the ones that are communicating. But the sales reps obviously can see all the communication. Sometimes there are direct messages that go back and forth. But um, that's been super, super effective for us as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I'm sure you may have experimented with this in the past as well, but I've seen some very clever teams also change the titles of like, you know, their salespeople and they may have more technical uh, degrees, but, um, you know, they're coming across as like a customer success engineer, right? But they're quota carrying. Um, but again, it, um, it is all about, again, you're speaking to this very different audience, right? So I think the engineers that are doing the work are very different um, a very different personality and understanding than the VPs of engineering or the directors that are really ready to have the, uh, you know, the, the enterprise conversation. Well, and you're in the choir. Well, and your, your point though, is that you made earlier about an engineer being able to smell, you know, a mile away if the person on the other end or that, that, that has written the email is not really an engineer technical. So in terms of the titles, I've been a little bit careful around that because, you know, trust is also a really big thing. And I don't want to put engineer in the title and then they open it up and see, saying an engineer, this is a, <laughs> this is a salesperson that, so with, with the more technical sales reps, it's okay. Or with our sales engineers, it's obviously fine because they are quite technical, but yeah. I, I've definitely thought about that as a strategy, but like you said, all they need to do is open their mouths and they've blown their cover. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you have to be, of course, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like it's, it's everything in sales is built around trust, right? So yeah. you do have to use that, um, you know, in the right context. But if I do have a salesperson that has very comfortable talking, you know, to a good level of technical uh, depth, I'll be like, Hey, go ahead and change. Yeah, you actually should change your title. Maybe you may find that it's kind of like in sales where you change. You don't might not be an account executive anymore. It's like business development because it's a little bit softer, right? Right, um, right. But um, customer experience engineer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but there's certainly ways that you can make it uh, a little bit easier for that uh, person, that persona on the other side to um to identify with you, right, and and begin the conversation. Very cool. So, Mitch, are you ready for some uh, questions? I've, I've got some questions so people can get a chance to know you uh, a little bit better. Sure, absolutely. All right. So, first question is, what music's on your playlist right now? Oh, my playlist? There's, there's usually only one thing. It's just Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Ooh, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Now, there's a little context. I have to tie sure. the especially because, you know. Give us a start. Of course, yes, I, I, I do love the band. But I, I love the band for mm, some different reasons, too, because I genuinely think uh, and I, uh, if so, I'll give you an example. So Pearl Jam uh, has they treat their customers, their listeners, their their fans better than any other band that I've ever experienced. And here's an example. So they have this, you know, the, uh, very early on they always started this fan club, right? Right. But a very different type of fan club. You had to pay, you know, your ten dollars a year, and you got a fan club number, and you know, great. But the thing, even to this day, because you know they've been around twenty years, they just got stuck to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, even to this day, the first 30 rows or 50 rows of every concert they do, because right, they still tour uh, once you know every couple of years, um, is reserved for uh, fan club members only, and they've always done this. Wow! And the, tickets, the tickets are you know face price; they're 15 bucks, 20 bucks. So 
a little random story. We go, we, we're traveling with some friends. We go to this, you know, show in uh, New Orleans. Um, and they had, uh, in that particular one, they actually had seats, but it was all reserved. And we go up and we grab our tickets and you know, we're just kind of walking into this dark, uh, dark stadium. And we literally, the, the people just kept waving us on like, nope, keep going through, keep going through, keep going through. We end up, and I kid you not, all the way in the center, front row, like front row center, right, like the absolute best seat in the house, all because I was just a fan club member. <laughs> that is so cool. I am. I like Pearl Jam, but now they've they're going to move to the the tippy top. All right, I'm telling you that, and I can't believe that other bands don't. Because I you know I'm a member of a lot of different fan clubs, and I love music like most people. But like no one else does that. No one else just takes the customer experience, and then you know they have the big fight with Ticketmaster around right. you know tickets getting just exorbitantly. You know, like they they actually care about their customer more than any band. And the fact that I also love the music is just the cherry on top for me. So that's. That's well, cool. A committed customer. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, tri- tri- trivia, trivia is Eddie Vedder, uh, or my son, let's say, went to the same high school in Encinitas, California that Eddie Vedder attended. So, Oh, nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Years ago, he actually uh, gave some money to the, the school when he was there to, um, I, know, I think, help build a, a library or something. But anyway, so, um, yeah, he didn't forget his roots. All right. So what's your favorite sales book? This is, a trick. this is a trick question, Mitch. I just want to give you, tell you ahead of time, this is a trick question. <laughs> You're lucky that you have somebody here to help. Besides the obvious. Besides right? the obvious books, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, for sure, and Influence, right, by Caldini. And I, I did, I, I know that you interviewed him, but, and I actually listened to that one because that by far, that's the book I tell any new salesperson or even experienced mm-hmm. salesperson, just mm-hmm. read this book because it, uh, for me, it was the first time. I mean, like I saw, we read a lot of books, right? Like trying to learn as much as we can all the time. But it was the one book where it just clicked for me. And I said, oh, all of these things that I learned or I was doing as an individual sales rep that worked. I'm like, oh, this is now I can explain it. I, I, now I know why it was working. I didn't really know why. I just know that it worked. Um, but uh, phenomenal, like just a phenomenal book. Uh, uh, so that's that. that all right. That's Influence by Robert Cialdini. Book. Okay. Favorite non-sales book? Uh, non-sales book. Um, I would say uh, certainly the mm, familiar with John Boyd, uh, the fighter pilot who changed the art of war. Uh, so uh, John Boyd, this yeah. book is also phenomenal. This is probably the only second book that I ever recommend. But um, it, uh, you have to read the story. I'm I'm sending this book to both of you because it's it's so uh, incredible. I'm gonna. And, or I'll probably have read it by the time you send it to me. What is it? Tell me. It's John Boyd. So so the story, like this, he's a real person, and he was a he was a fighter pilot, you know, back uh, uh, in the '60s, and then, but he was a brilliant mathematician, right? And he ended up creating. He's the forefather for. Uh, he basically um, came up with, or the first person to come up with a formula to model uh, military airplanes. Right. And before that, no one like they were like, how can you build an equation that tells me how good a fighter uh, a fighter plane is going to be? And so he was the first one to do that. And, and he ended up he's the kind of the, the father of the F-16, the A-10 Warthog, a uh, couple of like huh. lots of other uh, brilliant um, um, uh, air, uh, airplanes. And he, he can he also developed this concept called the OODA loop, which is. Uh, OODA, so it stands for you first you observe, you know, then you orient yourself, then you uh, decide, then you action. Right? 
and his this whole concept that he developed is very much uh, what I think is like it's the uh, uh, it's the beginning of you know your pivot or iteration really right. And so when I started to understand how he had kind of developed all this, in addition to all this great, I mean, the, the impacts that he's had on, on the world that, um, that um, uh, in, in many different ways, again, it started to click with click for me, like, oh, effectively, can we do more of these OODA loops in basic, in, in any business decision that we can make in the sales cycle? Can we get, can we do more OODA loops? Because we, if we can do more OODA loops based off of basic, more decisions, more actions, more, more observing, more orienting, then that gives us an advantage in the sales cycle. Cycle. And so I've implemented this. I uh, make everyone on my team read it. it uh, it's a phenomenal story, and it it um, really helps again this concept of uh, iteration. And can you just do more, faster, learn? Right. Well, it also seems like it really applies to this, this topic of behavior change, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. if you're orienting yourself, you're basically creating awareness of of your environment, right? And uh, observe, orient, or is it a orient, observe? I would whatever I would order, but uh, decide, <laughs> act. Yeah, to me, it's like you could yeah take a decision about yeah I'm being very conscious about what I'm doing based on my orientation observation. I'll change where I'm going. Yes, exactly. Mitch is the is the title of the book of the book. Is it Boyd, the fighter pilot who changed the art of war? Is that yes. the one? That's the one. Yeah, and it is a. Fun I one. can hardly wait. <laughs> I'd be really interested to get it, and you have to be honest with me as far as oh I will. You guys, you guys rating you know on kind of zero to ten what you really think about it, but. Uh, for me, it really struck. Like he's this, and he was very, you know, he was out there. He was very against not your typical military guy. And he worked in the Pentagon a lot, and everybody hated this guy, right? Because he was just so against the grain and everything that he did, uh, and um, just a brilliant mathematician to start, which was uh, just a, a great, um, a great, uh, great story. Okay, well, we'll we'll make sure we bring this up in our next books episode, Bridget. We'll discuss this book. Oh, cool. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read. I can. I. I'm. I feel like I should almost just get off the, get off this right now and start. This is great. I always love it when something comes really highly recommended. I'm super excited. Thank you, Mitch. You've really earned your. You've earned your keep. (laughs) Okay. Not that you're worried about it. Not that you're worried, but since he's paying the bills, asking, and not that it mattered what I think, but anyway. Well, Andy, I, not feel, and Andy allowed, may not feel the same way. Well, Bridget, Bridget <laughs> yeah. we, we all seek your approval, so that's, that's yeah, important. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've, I've really experienced that. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask like your your two top books uh, also? Our books, yeah. Uh, are you talking about sales or non-sales? Uh, let's let's do non-sales. Uh, probably. Um, well, I love Shakespeare. I always think I always recommend Shakespeare. People should be reading because um, you can learn so much about the humans. That are. There's a great book by a guy named Harold Bloom, who's a this incredible scholar who wrote a book called The Invention of the Human. Uh, basically, puts forth the theory that uh, sort of people and our reactions and sort of the ways we look at the world and our feelings uh, didn't really exist till Shakespeare described them. Um, and the right. huge influence on Western society. So, um, yeah, things like that. I love Bridget. Well, I'll tell you just a more recent one. I read all the time. So I, there's a whole bunch like just classic, classic Les Mis is like one of my all time favorites, but a more recent 
And partly it has to do with me working for an Israeli company. I loved Startup Nation. Mm-hmm. And it's about yeah, um, Israel. So I really loved that one as a, just a fun book to read. Okay, now let's go to the business book. Aside from the obvious. <laughs> okay, aside from the obvious. Aside from the obvious. Andy, Andy, what's yours aside from the obvious? Oh, gosh, there have been so many. Um, so many that you've written. You just can't pick which one you like the best of yours. Of mine. Well, yeah. The, yeah. Yes. Choose between the, the two of them. Yeah, that's a hard choice. Um, you know, I just read a really interesting book I really, really enjoyed, written by uh, Marshall Goldsmith, who is you know, perhaps the, the preeminent business coach in the world, and um, wrote a book called Triggers about how to behavior change and how to become the person you want to be. And um, I thought it was a, a fantastic book, sort of describing how to become aware of our environment, how to actually change our behavior. But and it was written from the perspective of not changing just your habits. And sort of like Duhigg wrote in his book, which is great, The Power of Habit, but more about how do you change your, your behaviors relative to your interpersonal skills, which is so critical for sales. Mm-hmm. And... And it lays it out in such a way that that um, I thought was quite brilliant and gives a, a tool at the end, a very simple tool for people to use to to use on a daily basis to help them monitor the behavior change. And it's um, yeah, extremely well done. Okay, mine. Oh my god, I, I have so many, but my my most recent Andy, we've talked about it, is "Winner's Dream" by Bill McDermott, the CEO of SAP. It's a great story, especially for sales. It's a really, really great story of his journey from uh, working in a deli kind of up to where he is now. And I, I listened to it on audible and he's the one who reads it. And so you get it in his voice with his passion about sales and the people and the customers and the profession. And it's a, it's super inspiring. My team at the company where I was previously, everybody read it on the team and we talk about it in meetings. It's a, it's a great book. Okay. So what's, what's the title again? Winner's Dream. Bill McDermott. Okay. Knock these out this weekend. It's a great one. You'll be, well, you can, you can also let me know. You can also let me know, Mitch, how this one resonated. It's, it's great to listen to if you're an audible, if you're an audible junkie, like I tend to be. Well, Mitch, so in case you don't know, Bridget's out running every morning at 4.30 in the morning, come or rain, five. shine, snow, listening to her Audible books. So. I know. Other people get pumped up with music. I put a book on, <laughs> and I'm just over the top. I get lost. That's, that's good. That's good. So um, let's see, Mitch, words of wisdom you live by. Can I have a quote or a saying? Uh, probably the one I, I probably recite to my, myself uh, every morning is, um, uh, is it goes like this. Um, we, I, we come from a time where you were expected to make your own way. Uh, we didn't, we didn't uh, wait around and uh, wait for people to do things for us. I don't know who wrote it, but uh, it was given to me. And to me, that's, it's like, hey, you got to go make something happen. Yeah. Well, your... Your signature line on your email says, go, go, go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that gives you, gives you an, an indication, a hint. Um, so I was going to ask about hobby and interest, but I know that one of them is, is uh, whiskey. 
is the whiskey. And whiskey is one of those funny ones. It's like, I, I don't, I wouldn't even really call myself a whiskey person. Uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with early on with uh, a bunch of Irish guys and it got me into it. And I, even to this day, I wouldn't, you know, I don't drink a lot of whiskey, but, um, uh, I, I, uh, it is one thing I, you know, if I'm, I do a lot of wagers with my team or with other salespeople or other folks about just certain situations and it always ends up that I end up usually uh, wagering whiskey bottles. So it just kind of become a, become a thing. <laughs> and bottles of whiskey with whiskey in them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So yeah, it's best if they have something in them. Well, he just, <laughs> he said whiskey bottles. I don't know. So, okay. I don't know. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to be, trying to be precise for the audience. Hey, he's detail oriented. He's That's detail, right. You know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. So, last question for you, Mitch is, is what what aspect of yourself are you focused on improving right now? Oh, at the moment, uh, well, you know where we are as a company. You know, I'm I'm leading most of the sales efforts. So uh, every day, I'm uh, there's two skills I'm trying to continue to hone. Every every time we pitch and talk to a customer, it's it's how can I qualify faster and better what questions do I use? And then, you know, closing. So for me, um, those, I don't think you can ever master those, but I just continually try and work with my team to try new things and approaches, um, to see how we can continually like reduce the, the amount of time that the customer goes, yep, I'm comfortable. I'm at product. Yes. And then shifting gears, how can we accelerate the the commercial yes thread, which to me are kind of like two principles or that, um, that I've built my sales process around. Got it. Okay. So you said you had questions for us. I do. do we, so we've, got, one, we've, I, we've got time for one, maybe. Maybe two. Okay. Uh, I will pick this because this one I, I, I argue with, I discuss with people uh, quite often. It's the, it's the July lull, right? The July, December lull. Uh, and do you both, do you subscribe to it? Do you think it's real? We actually, we had an episode about this not that long ago. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> we talked I about. Go listen to that. Damn it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're we're done. No, um, but, <laughs> but we did we did talk about you know. Do you need to have a summer sales strategy, basically? Mm-hmm. And Bridget, what'd you say? I think you have to have a strategy, but you just have to plan for it. Like, you, I don't think it's a reason necessarily to. I don't even. I actually don't remember what I said, but um, I, I just think you gotta you gotta be prepared for it. So if you, if you think you're going to have a lull in, in July, I'd have a plan to make it up in August and September. That's how I think about it. What did I say? I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and I'll go back and listen. <laughs> look, to the, look at the transcript. Because I may have changed my mind <laughs> from what I said then to what I say now. We're always learning. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm with you. I mean, I, I spent years selling in Europe and, or, you know, going to Europe and selling, let's say. And... Yeah, the theory is always, well, August, everybody's closed down. Yeah, you're never getting anything done in August. And actually, I found out is you sort of have to just sort of try to pierce pierce the veil because there's oftentimes there's there's a myth behind that. And mm-hmm. uh, actually did a lot of business in August in yeah. Europe in Europe because <laughs> yeah, not everybody was on vacation. Uh, maybe in France they were, but you know, typically <laughs> there were countries where you know people are still working and working, and so. It, yeah, could you get some seasonal lulls? Yeah, we talked about, you know, yeah, we can't get that done in August because Wall Street's on vacation. Because I, so, I sold to the financial industry for a long time. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry, as Bridget said, yeah, if, if you knew that was the case, then you had the orders lined up in July and they gave you the orders in September. Right. And you just, like, I mean, we the reality is that more people are going to be gone. I mean, it just is. So it does it 
affect the business and leads coming in? Yeah, it absolutely does. Is it a reason to uh, shut things down or, or make a big deal about it? No, but you just have to know the reality is people are, they do take vacations in those times. Okay, so how are we going to how are we going to mitigate uh how how are we going to mitigate that issue and make that less of an issue make that less of an issue or just focus on your customers in the southern hemisphere and they're not on vacation <laughs> or that yeah i'd do that i'd go to australia in in our summer there yeah they're there they're all celebrating <laughs> yeah. i guess i've always I mean, even if I go back to my own like individual contributor sales career and even and then going into teams, I, I have always kind of found that December and July actually are biggest months. And and I was trying to figure this out uh, a while back, but I, I think my hypothesis is that everyone's on vacation, but the right people are on vacation. So, I mean, really VPs, now you're not going to start a sales cycle in July and close it, no. But if you have stuff that's coming in in June and you have it teed up, correctly and you're getting into the you know the closing for july the vps and director levels the guys that can sign you know they're they might be on holidays but they're certainly still working right uh and they certainly especially if this is you know expectations have been set around um around signatures and getting things um signed um i you know last summer last summer was it was our biggest month for, uh, for last year and i think july is lining up for us to be uh to be the the biggest month so far so I don't know. I, I I think it's it's that the right people are gone. It gives the VPs or the directors uh, actually some some time away from being locked in meetings all day. There you go. Yeah, you get a chance to sort of more undivided attention. One. And salespeople are taking their time off. That's the other thing. I'm like, I love it when salespeople are like the competitors just going. I'm gonna. I'm on the quarter, so I'm I'm waiting until you know I'll you know, I get to go in August to get ready for September. It's like great. That gives you know us the the competitive advantage if we're, exactly if. All right. Unfortunately, we got to call it a day. But Mitch, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you both. And I have one last thing to leave you and your listeners. Yes. There are 11 and a half business. Well, for you guys, there's only 11. 11 and a half business days left in the month. So go, go, go. Go, go, go. go, go. I love it. There we go. All right. Mitch, thank you very much. Bridget, as always. Great. As always, great to talk with you, Mitch, also. Absolutely. And friends, thank you for joining us today on this episode of Frontline Fridays. Make sure you come back and join us again next Friday. And in between time, there's lots of good episodes of Accelerate to listen to. So thank you very much. Bridget, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care. 